Last week, we launched season three of Potholes of Life. Now, Potholes, this is, again, season three. We, last year, we did two series on Potholes of Life, and don't worry about it. We got you covered. You can binge watch them on our YouTube channel, or uh, you can go listen to them on our Spotify, or you can listen to the podcast. They're all there. there there's a whole other eight potholes that we talked about last year. And uh, what is a pothole? I mean, we all know what a pothole is. You don't even need to be a driver to hit, know what a pothole is, right? If you're just a passenger in the car, you've hit a pothole at one point in time or another. And, and, and it's a hole in the ground, a depression in the ground that, that causes damage. Have you ever had a, maybe a busted tire because of a pothole? I, I said the story one time, a long time ago, of my wife and her VW Bug. We were dating. I think we were engaged at the time. She was like, I've always wanted to drive a Bug. And, and we got a VW, she got a VW, not we, she got a VW, it was her car. And um, she hit this pothole on Miller and like 67th Avenue that bent the rim. I mean, that pothole caused some damage to her car. And so what is a pothole of life, okay? Using that definition, we wrote it this way. It's a depression in the road of life, a hole in the road of life that causes a hurt or a wound or pain in us or in others around us. And so last week, as we kicked off this season, we talked about one that affects us all, which was the pothole of shame. And I don't know if you've ever felt shame because you did something you shouldn't have done or because you, you, you acted in a way you should have had. And shame, we talked about, makes you run away from God instead of running to God. It makes you just want to hide when God says, run to me, right? And so that was the pothole of shame. And today I want to talk about a pothole we've all dealt with as well especially if you were ever two years old. Weren't you ever two years old at one point in your life? Any of y'all have a child that went through two years old? You know what I'm talking about there? I'm talking about the pothole of self-sufficiency. I can do this. You know when your child gets to that point where it's like, I know how to do it. I got this, right? Like, like I've always been an independent person. My mom says I rode the bus home one day, kindergarten, five years old. I rode the bus or maybe one week, but one day on that week, the bus, the van got a flat tire and five-year-old David says, I got this. There's no cell phones back then. I'm that old, all right? There was no cell phones. There was no thing. So I got out of the van and the, t- the, the bus driver didn't notice. And I walked about four or five blocks, maybe longer than that, back to the school to call my mom and let her know the van got a flat tire. Well, let you know, I never rode the bus again. Cause I got this. I was a little five-year-old David. He was like, I got, I, I, we're good. We got to figure it out. And we do this in our life, don't we? We get to this point, we say things like this, and the, the, the pothole of self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, it says things like that, I got this. It says things like, I know how to fix it. And what is self-sufficiency? It's, got, it's up there right behind me, is when you get to that point where you don't need outside help, right? Any of you have a teenager or some a son or daughter, maybe just turn 18, and are like, but I'm an adult now. Bubble, the day you can pay your own bills, then maybe come talk to me. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Right? Not, you know. Some of you are like, no, nah, me, nah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm old enough. I can do it. Listen, go get a full-time job. Pay the bills, pay the utility, pay your insurance, pay your cell phone and the overage data card, and then maybe come talk to me. But we have this whole thing. I That's what self-sufficiency is. I don't need outside help. And it says things like that. I got this. I know how to fix this. I can do it. And we do this in our walk with God. We shift from a reliance or dependence on God to thinking that I can do it on my own. 
We shift to a place where we think that we've got it covered. And we basically, without saying it with our words, our actions will turn around and say, I don't need God. That's what self-sufficiency does. It makes, through your actions, you say something like, I don't need God. Again, last week we talked about shame. And I said that the pothole of shame makes you run from God. Well, let me tell you that the pothole of self-sufficiency leads you to say, I don't need God. And self-sufficiency, it's very, very subtle. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Self-sufficiency is very subtle. You don't even realize it, that you're acting in a way that you think you've got this covered. See, I, I want to talk about Joshua for a bit. I'm going to give you a few examples of this in Scripture. Joshua, amazing man of God. I mean, that guy was a man's man. Number one, why do I say he's a man's man? Because he loved the presence of God. And a real man will love the presence of God. And so the Bible recounts that when Moses was in the tent meeting with God... Joshua would sit right outside. It says that when Moses would go and speak to the congregation, Joshua would stay at the tent of meeting where the presence of God was. Like Joshua wanted God. And, and, and when Moses dies, Joshua becomes the leader of Israel. Joshua chapter 1, we've heard this before. God tells him three times, be strong and courageous. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt when they got to the Red Sea. What happened? He put out the staff. The sea was open. They crossed on dry land. When Joshua takes over, because God wants to show the people of Israel, I'm with him the same way I was with Moses. When they get to the River Jordan, that sounded weird, river, not river, river. When they get to the River Jordan, he steps up to it and God parts the river and they cross on dry land. And then they get to this place called Jericho. Jericho was a fortified city. You know the story of Jericho. God tells Joshua when he prays, how do we want to combat this? God tells him, worship around the walls. Seven days, one time a day, walk around the wall. Walk around the entire city. On the seventh day, do it seven times. And when I tell you, shout, and the walls are going to come down. And they receive this massive victory. And then self-sufficiency crept in very subtly. That's where we're going to start. Joshua chapter 7, verse number 2. Joshua 7, verse number 2. This is right after they have the defeat at Jericho. It says that Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country... So the men went up and spied out I. Nothing wrong with this. As a matter of fact, this was a strategy that had been used at Jericho. They sent spies. The spies are the ones that went into Jericho, actually, and were the ones that Rahab spared and, and, and let them down through the hole. This had been done before. So he does it the same way, right? Then the people tell him in verse 3, it says, They returned and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. But only about two or 3,000 men go up and attack I. Don't worry. All the people there, for they are of I, are very few. Like, Joshua, we did this before. We got this. And you know what Joshua said? He didn't pray. He didn't seek God. He said, that sounds good. Take 3,000 men and go. Guess what happened? They were defeated. 36 men. It says in verse number 
uh, uh, five. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And Joshua then runs to God, tears his clothes, and says, Why, God? Why is it? Why is it that you sent us? And God says, because their sin in Israel is why you lost. God actually begins to tell Joshua everything that had happened at the end of Jericho and the people that had sinned and kept some stuff that they weren't supposed to. And that brought a defeat. Can I tell you, if Joshua had not been self-sufficient in thinking, I've got the strategy from last time and had asked God, God would have showed him the sin in the camp before the defeat. But the subtleness of the previous win. This is how we did it last time. It must be how we need to do it again. This is how I encountered God before. It must be the same way. Like this is the recipe, one, two, three. No, you've got to ask God. Can I tell you something? He got right. He got the children of Israel white. And God didn't want 3,000 men to go down there. He told them to take the entire army, and they utterly obliterated and destroyed the people of Ai. But Joshua did not learn his lesson. Pastor, I thought you said Joshua was a great man of God. He was, but men of God also mess up. They're not, you know, perfect. Only Jesus was. So you know what happens? Chapter 9, these people from the land of Gibeon, They hear about all of the situations and the victories that God had given the people of Israel at Jericho and at Ai. And they said, you know what? We don't want to be defeated. And they got together a group of people and they got dressed up in broken, tattered clothes. They got moldy bread, like the bread that you have in your cupboard for three months or whatever you forget was there and you open it up and you don't have to open it to know it's bad because it's green. The bread was moldy. Their skins for their waters or their wines were broken. And they came to the children of Israel and said, make a treaty with us. We're from a very far away land. We've heard how good you guys are and you're God. In chapter 9, verse 14, it says, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore it to them. And guess what? Three days later, they found out it had all been a lie. But now they had made covenant. Why? Joshua didn't ask God. He just acted on what he saw. He thought he knew it. He was self-sufficient. It had crept in very subtly. As a matter of fact, that treaty cost them for hundreds of years. You can read in 2 Samuel when King David, this is hundreds of years later, after all the judges and after Saul, there was an issue that happened and and, and David asked God, what is the problem? Where is the sin? And God said, because Saul dealt poorly and killed some of the Gibeonites when Joshua had made a treaty with them. It followed them for a very long time. Let me tell you, sometimes the ramifications of us saying, I don't need you, God, I can do this on my own, will cost you for a while. 
So we have to avoid that pothole. And when we hit the pothole, we got to realize, oh, no, 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 I can't do it on my own. Here's another reason why self-sufficiency creeps in or it sneaks in. When we forget, it was God who did it. So the first one is, it's very subtle. But the second thing is, when we forget what God has done. I'll give you an example of it. I'm not going to read it. It's too long. But you guys can have some homework. You can read it throughout this week. Second Chronicles chapters 14, 15, and 16 is the story of this king by the name of Asa. Everybody say this morning, Asa. It's a pretty cool name, Asa. He was a good king. As a matter of fact, chapter 14 starts talking about the way that he brought all these things in line in Israel. And for the first 10 years of his reign, there was peace in the land. And then you know what happened? Second Chronicles 14. Second Chronicles 14. Starting in verse number nine, it says, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300,000 chariots. Dude, that's a big army. A million men and 300,000 chariots. Verse number 10 says, so Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marash, Marishah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And look at verse number 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Can I tell you? He cried out to God and said, it's got to be you. And God delivered them from an army of a million men and 300,000 chariots. But you know what happened? 25 years later, Asa forgot about that. He forgot. Chapter 15, then we get to chapter 16, and it says that in the 37th year, okay? So again, as you read it chronologically there, it says for the first 10 years of his kingdom, he was at peace. Then the Ethiopians come and God delivers them. And then in the 37th year of his reign. So that's what I'm telling you. It's about 25, 27 years later. It says that these men come to attack him. And you know what he does? He asks or pays, makes a treaty with Syria to come and defend them. He forgets of what God had done in him and said, I've got to figure out how to defend my people. So he goes and he pays an army to come and fight. Guess what? They lost. Why? They forgot that it had been God and they now thought, I need to do it on my own. Let me tell you, when you attribute Attribute the victory that God gave you to yourself 
as opposed to God, self-sufficiency kicks in. And the next time there's a situation, you think you got it. It's why David writes in the book of Psalms, chapter 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. David knew that it wasn't him, but God in him. Right? We know the story of David and Goliath. You everybody know the story of David and Goliath? Little young man, David fights his big giant Goliath. When everybody's telling David, you can't do it, you're a young man, and Goliath is a man of war from his youth, David says, when I was a shepherd out in the field, if a lion came against me and took one of the sheep, I went and I grabbed it by its beard and I struck it and I killed it. And if a bear came, I chased it down and I killed it. But then look at what he says. And the same God that delivered me from the bear and the lion will deliver me from this giant. David didn't attribute his victory to himself. He knew it was God's hand with him. And that's why he writes in the Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's almost like a statement to himself. I picture it as David looking at a mirror and reminding himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Look what it says in verse number three, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your soul with good things. David understood it was God who redeemed him. It was God who healed him. It was God who defended him. It was God who provided for him. He understood it was God. And so he was able to avoid that pothole of I can do it. He remembered. Can I tell you another reason or another thing? The pothole of self-sufficiency, it sneaks in when you and I view God through a normal or a world or a natural human life progression. What do I mean by that? I'm going to read it one more time. Self-sufficiency sneaks in when we view God through natural or human life progression. Well, what is natural human life progression? You have a child. You feed the child. The child begins to grow. You potty train the child. The child continues to grow. They go off to high school. They go to college. They get to the point in their life where they get married. They get in the point of their life where they become self-sufficient. They move out. They are now doing their stuff. As a matter of fact, life, natural life progression gets you to a place where that child no longer depends on mom and dad, but it shifts where mom and dad depend on the child. In natural life progression, you know what I'm talking about. My mom texted me last night. Se me fundió un bombillo. One of my light bulbs went bad. Can you bring me a light bulb? Mom texted me. My dad will text me. Hey, when can you pass by the house? I got to cut this thing down. You know, I can't do it by myself anymore. My stepmom will tell me, hey, help your dad with this. He can't do that by himself. You know, we've gotten, we're in a different point. I don't depend on them to provide and pay my mortgage and pay my things. I've got a place where now I help them. That is natural life progression. And so when we look at God through a natural life progression standard, we think, now I've been a Christian three years, I got this on my own. Papo, no, we never outgrow our dependence of God. 
We never outgrow our dependence on God. We need mentoring. We need pastoring. Let me be vulnerable. Let me be transparent. I have a pastor. His name is Joel Stocksdale. I meet with him once a week. And when I'm not walking perhaps in the best way I should be or I'm letting circumstances weigh me down, he calls me out. David, I tell him the way you're talking and stuff like that. You're, you're, you're looking the wrong way. You're looking at things. You're talking negative. You're talking about the problems. You're talking about the things. He'll call me out. You can ask my wife. I've had moments where I've talked with my pastor, and I have ended in tears. What do you mean in tears? Yep, because it hurt. Because when you get called out and the person's right, it hurts. And I remember at times my wife saying, well, was he right? Yes. Okay. Let me tell you something. I need a pastor. We need mentors. And the minute that we think we don't need it anymore, we're heading down the road of I think I got this on my own. And that's when it all breaks loose. As a matter of fact, If you are ever plugged in or submitting to a person that does not submit themselves to somebody else, run and break that tie. These pastors that just tell you, oh, I'm just submitted to God. Nope. Yes, I submit to God. But I need to have somebody in my life that can tell me, David, get back in line. And then my job and responsibility is to tell the sheep that call 3W their home, hey. Many times I'll ask somebody, I'll start the conversation, unless I already know, I'll start the conversation. It's like, do you see me as your pastor? Yes, I do. Do I have permission then to speak to you? Yes, you do. You're out of line in this area. If the person can accept correction, we can move forward. But you know what we're doing right now? This is what's happening all across. And and we blame COVID, but it was happening before COVID. We have all these Instagram pastors, and we are being shepherded by people online only. And, and, And listen, again, I'm not, we have an online campus, and we love our online campus. And we connect with you, right? Like those who say we are part of online, we visit, we pray, we talk. But there's a lot of people who say they do online church that have no accountability. There is no relationship there. If you are part of our online campus, we tell you, please let us know why. On Mother's Day, we're going to visit you and drop off a Mother's Day gift if you're local. We're going to reach out to you and ask you, can we pray for you? What's the deal? What's going on? We're going to try to pastor you, to shepherd you. But if you get to a place where you think you don't need it, that's the problem. That's where we deviate and that's where we get lost. We all need mentoring. We all need pastoring. And why? So that then we can do it to somebody else. We can help the next generation. We can help somebody else with what we've been learning, with what we've been growing on. Now we can be a blessing to someone else. So then I said these three things, right? This pothole of self-sufficiency, it's very subtle. It sneaks in when we forget what God has done. It sneaks in when we view God through a natural or a human perspective. So then I ask you this question. When we hit the pothole of self-sufficiency, when we hit it, 
How do we combat it? How do we fight it so that we don't get into this pattern that we think we have this all on our own? It starts with daily saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. So simple. Daily telling God you need him. Look at what John 15 says. Go to the book of John, chapter 15. Jesus is talking there to disciples. He's talking to us. And he says, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong book. I'm in Luke. Give me a second. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If that's not an example of pastoring, man, I don't know what it is. Even when I'm doing well, he prunes me to be able to do more. Then he says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus clearly says, without me, you can't do it. You can't do it. Do you know that Jesus, when he was on earth, said in John chapter 5, apart from my father, I can do nothing? Jesus doesn't just tell us, man. He models it. It's the relationship he had with the Father. What did Jesus do on a constant basis? The Bible says it was his custom to go out into the wilderness to pray. It was his custom to go spend time with the Father. It was his custom to be with him. So how do we combat the self-sufficiency? We daily say, God, without you, I can do nothing. We daily abide in him. How does that mean? What does it look like to abide in him? Man, we spend time in worship. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in the word of God. It is great to hear preachings. But I'll ask you, when's the last time you said, Holy Spirit, speak to me. God, speak to me. And you opened your Bible and you read what God had for you. You should do that daily. Daily, you should read the word of God. Because it washes you, it cleanses you, and it helps remind you that you can't do it on your own. That you're not self-sufficient, that you need the help. We need to daily say, God, I need you. We need to daily say, God, I abide in you. And we need to let God hold the string. Let God hold the string. Some of y'all looking at us like, that sounds very poetic. What does that mean? So I'll ask you this question. Have you ever flown a kite? So I heard the story about this kite that was flying really high. And as he was flying really, really high and he looked down at the earth below 
He said, oh, if that man would let go of the string, I could truly fly. Oh, if I wasn't bound to that man on the string, I could soar to the heights that I could never known before. Oh, if that man was not holding me on that string, I would do better than I am right now. And one day the kite got his wish. He was up in the sky flying so high and the string broke and immediately the kite took a nosedive and died, crash landed. Why? Because he didn't understand that the string is what let him soar. The string is what let him fly and God is the string we are the kite. He's flying us high. He's leading us to the places we need to go. But if we let go of the string, the kite will crash. Church, let God hold the string. Let God hold the string. Let him hold the string of your life. Let him hold the string to your marriage. Let him hold the string to your children. Let him hold the string to your finances. Let him hold the string to your, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your business, to your health. Let God hold the string. Stop with the I can do it. Stop with the I've got this. I just got to figure out a way. Oh, man, when people tell me that. No, you don't. You need to go spend time with Jesus. He will show you the way. I'm not saying don't go do the work. But do the work that he tells you to do. Because when you do the work that he tells you to do, it comes easy. I mean, think about it for a second. We've all encountered it if we're honest. I'm not going to ask you to tell me your story. But if we're honest, we can encounter. We've had the moments where we did it our way and it was hard. It was a push. It was a challenge. You had to nail, scratch, claw for every single inch. And then there's the other times where you spent half an hour praying and talking with God and he gave you an idea and it instantly it flourished. And I was like, well, that was easy. Staples, boom, easy. You know what brought out the staples button? The time with God. So let him hold the string. When the temptation comes to say, dad, I got this. Say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually need you. I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Let me tell you, I can't do this on my own. I can't. I need him. I need my time with him. It's why I take it so precious. I know that I will be so busy throughout the day that if I don't do it before I leave the house, it won't happen. So if people ask me, what time do you wake up? Well, it depends on the day. Well, what do you mean by it depends on the day? If I need to go to a meeting at 8 in the morning, I have to wake up at 4.30. It takes you long to get ready? Nope, I need to have time with God before my kids get up. Because if I do it when my kids get up, it ain't going to happen. Dad, I love you. I Thanks, Mom. I'm trying to read my Bible. <laughs> I understand that depending on my day, I need to navigate at what time I'm going to have it with God? Because if I don't do it before I leave the house, chances are it will not get done. Or I may try to do it later at night, but I'm so tired. I, I can't. I don't understand. Or I fall asleep. I mean, come on, come on. Let's be honest. I'll read the Bible when I get home tonight. Two and a half sentences in. Right? You got to do it early. Because when you create the intentional time and pursuit of God before you leave and get started on your day, 
the rest of the day goes smooth. Does it mean you're not going to have problems? No, there's going to be issues. But God's grade is sufficient. That means you're not going to be able to do it. No, 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 I will be able to do it. As a matter of fact, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So church, self-sufficiency is a real pothole. And it's a deep one. As a matter of fact, self-sufficiency, it leads to the pothole of pride. We're going to talk about that one in a couple weeks. Don't miss it. We got to get to the place where we say, God, my reliance and dependence is on you. I will abide in you, and I'll let you hold on to the string so that I can fly to the altitude that you've called me to fly. Come on, church, can we stand to our feet? Father, this morning, Lord, I repent for the times where I have wished that I could just do it on my own. Lord, I repent for the times that I have acted on my own only to fall flat on my face and realize that I needed you. And Lord, I pray that you help us daily remember that we need you. Father, that we may combat this self-sufficiency, that we may combat this desire to say, I can do it on my own, I don't need you. Father, that we may fight that and say, God, I need you. As a matter of fact, that we may just tell you every day, God, I need you more today than I needed you yesterday. Father, that we make the active choice to abide in you and let you hold the string of our lives. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, before we move on in service, I have to give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Do you know that biblically speaking, not everyone is a child of God? Everyone is God's creation, but it takes a relationship. It takes being adopted to become God's child. And the Bible says that it's very simple. It's number one, believing that God, that Jesus is the Son of God. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And number two, it takes confessing that belief. Not just believing it, but declaring it, but saying it. So today, perhaps you're watching online for the first time or listening to this recording on a podcast or you're here in this building. And this message has brought you a conviction from God saying, I want a relationship with you. And today you say, God, I want that relationship that you want with me. I want you to say this prayer with me, believing it. And church, pray with them and simply say this, God, I am a sinner and on my own, I cannot get to you, but I believe that Jesus is your son. He came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave to pay the price for my sin. So today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart. Write my name in the book of life. And from God, from God, so God, from now on, I am yours. You are mine. I declare it. I depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we just worship him for another minute or two?